All right, I've been, I've been, it's been a set of me over the last few weeks that I've been kind of opening a fire hose at you. Um, so, uh, I'm going to try to get through the rest of this year. I want you to kind of relax and rest because I'm going to give you some more bite-sized pieces over these next few weeks. I do not want you to interpret that as you don't need to be here or it doesn't matter if you go to sleep. Don't go to sleep and you do need to be here. But um, I, the, the area of courage really requires less of us in the sense of knowledge as it does in the sense of a, an, a willingness to trust God and to act in spite of fear. So what I want to share with you today, and then what we're going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks through the rest of this month, is what does that look like, not just as a church, but as an individual. And in two weeks, uh, my friend Oliver Richmond's going to be here, and I'm going to have a conversation with him about what that looks like in the area of forgiveness and healing, rebuilding relationships. And we're going to be speaking specifically about racial tension and how do we help to overcome that within our city And he is doing some incredible things um, in that. So I want you to be here. I want you to be here every week. There's not a week that is happening throughout this series that is not important. I want you here every week. But but that is going to be a special time with him. And if you are new to the conversation or if your whole racial reconciliation conversation, your mind comes from Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or Twitter or Facebook, um, this can be a very eye-opening conversation opportunity just to hear what's really going on around us and what are ways that we can be part of the solution. It is not about um, us trying to make it to shame or to do, but to be aware and to be a people that God can use to bring reconciliation within our community. And this is something that we need. So um, I'm very excited about the coming weeks. I'm very excited about next week um, when we are going to be talking about having the courage to heal, uh, and I want you to be here for that. This week, I want to talk to you about finding God's will and going for it. I've got a few minutes here, um, and that's all it's going to take today, but I, I need to share with you several things. I want you to take it with you. I want you to pray about this, and I want you to be, um, I want you to be praying specifically about what God is saying to you right here and right now. The beautiful thing about knowing Christ is that he has called us to follow him. And when we are following him, that means he is going to take us places that we would not normally go. Every one of us. There's not a person in here disqualified from that. Now, there are things that we need to be a part of that allow us to hear what God is saying. But what you're going to find is that he has been working within your life since before you were born to bring you to the to the journey, as Ken mentioned, of what he has planned for your life. And it is a beautiful, beautiful plan. We began with Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 last week, or two weeks ago. And this was Joshua taking over for Moses. Moses passed away, and he was leading them into the promised land. And, he, and this was what God had already spoken to Moses and then had passed on to Joshua. And it says, Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. That calling was to a specific group of people in a specific circumstance at a specific time, but I want you to know that that calling is yours today. Not to maybe inhabit a land, but to be strong and courageous, because that is who God is, that is who God is moving us to be, and that is our opportunity to share with the world around us. I shared with you the basic definition of courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. Now, how many of you had to do something that frightens you today? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Playing the song was frightening. Yes, absolutely. Perhaps giving a testimony was frightening this morning. Um, you are called to do frightening things. See, there's this lie in the world that says you can live your life in a way that you can go through without fear or trial or disappointment, or failure. And the problem for everyone in here is that you weren't able to do that. And I wasn't able to do that. Somewhere within us, we can break to the point of saying, well, I just must not be good enough. And there is a massive wave of that moving through our culture. I'm just not good enough. I just couldn't do it. And then we look on social media, we we look on the news, and we see these people that seem to effortlessly just be successful in life. They have it all together. They have the perfect family. They have the perfect job. They have great income. I mean, they are just doing incredible. They know all the great people. And we look and we go, oh, oh, why? It's just not me. And the reality is, that's not them either. That's just part of the mask that we can so easily put on today for our perfect families and our perfect life. You will have to live life with courage. And that will take strength. Courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. And if you're going to follow Jesus, I just have to say, there there is much to frighten you. The point is not that we remove that fear. The point is that we move in spite of it. I also share with you that the, the meaning of to encourage is to instill courage in someone. So in other words, we don't just encourage someone by saying, you look nice today. You did a good job. But instead, what we are actually doing, and and while building someone up in that way is a part of giving courage, what we are literally trying to do is to instill within them that ability to face a fear and to move through it. That is what it means to encourage. Two weeks ago, I shared four quick things with you, and I just want to run through them. We're not going to spend time on them. But courage begins with purpose. You need to have a purpose. Just to do things, some of us are risk takers, and we'll just do things that are are risky just because we like to, to do things that are risky. But the kind of courage that we read about in Scripture means you have a purpose. It doesn't matter whether or not you failed. You're not good enough. You've not been to the right schools. You don't know the right people. You don't have the right skill set. God always has a purpose for you, every single person. We talked about the reality that courage requires focus. Do you know what you're trying for? Do you know what you're, you're trying to accomplish? What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of living? What is the purpose of following Christ? What is God calling you specifically to do? Courage does require focus. It's not haphazard. We talked about the fact that courage is instilled through obedience to God. And I love how Ken talked about Scripture and its importance to us. It's instilled through obedience 
We trust, we follow, God follows through. We trust more, we follow, God follows through. We trust more, we follow. Courage is empowered by the presence of God, not your own ability. So if you're sitting here today thinking, I don't have the right pedigree, I don't have the right upbringing, I, don't have, I didn't have the right family, I don't have all the right skills, I don't make a lot of money, you're not disqualified. It's not about you at all. It's about a willingness to let God do something through you. Courage is so huge and important for us as the family of God that we cannot survive this world without it. I left you with a question, and it is, what has God called you to do, and why aren't you doing it? What has God called you to do, and why aren't you doing it? Now, that assumes, that question assumes you know what you are called to do, doesn't it? (laughs) And that's probably one of the number one questions people ask. How do you know God's will. And I would like to give you three points and a poem on how to know God's will, and you can walk out of here and you're good to go. I'm going to give you a few more than three, and you're going to find that they are not a prescriptive formula. So what does it look like to know what God has called you to do? And you have to begin with the belief that God is actually calling you to do something. Do you believe that that is reserved for a few super spiritual people? Or do you believe deep within you that God has a calling for you? Now, let me just right off the bat say, calling does not mean full-time ministry. It can. That when I grew up, calling meant full-time ministry. Missions, if you're really spiritual. Pastoring, not so much spiritual, but you know, calling into full-time ministry, right? That's how I grew up. Maybe some of you did too. Calling does not have to mean vocational ministry. In fact, one of the things that I believe, that many of us believe, is that the number of full-time ministers in the years to come is going to decrease as communities move smaller, as pastors become more bivocational, which is what I am, and we are going to continue to see that move, and we're going to continue to see churches taking ground in their cities, letting the gospel change lives, moving in these ways. Calling does not have to be vocational ministry. So as we talk about this, don't tune out. Don't think, oh, it's not for me. God has an incredible plan for you. Do you believe that? God has an incredible plan for you. If you have to start somewhere, you have to start here. God has an incredible plan for you. We read in Jeremiah, this is so often quoted, and yes, I recognize this to a specific people, but this is also the way God works in all people's lives. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. These are words from Jeremiah as they are in the middle of being enslaved by Babylon. And it was a hope that there was something better coming. But what I find encouraging about this is that God has a plan. And it's not just for them. God has a plan for us today. And the reality is this plan didn't just happen when you started being a better Christian. This plan happened before you were even born. 
In Jeremiah's calling, before he reached this point, he so entrusted God with the direction of their nation because he had said, I've been working on this for a long time. Chapter 1, verse 5 of Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The implications of what God is saying to Jeremiah here are enormous. I have known you before you were even a fragment. Before you were born, I consecrated you. This was Jeremiah's calling to prophecy. Now, prophecy today is a little different than prophecy then. Prophecy then was telling what God was doing at that time and in that place. To a degree, that's what prophecy is today. Many times, prophecy in the Old Testament meant talking about what was going to come to pass. And in fact, if you were not someone who was able to see come to fruition what you said was going to happen, you were stoned. You were killed. If you were to give a false representation of what God was going to do in the world, then that was taken so seriously that you were killed. Now today, anytime someone says God is, or Jesus is about to return again, and they give you a date, that is the immediate time that you turn them off, you get rid of their books, you don't ever go to their website, and you don't ever listen to them again. Anytime someone prophesies that, because Scripture clearly says you will not know when the time is going to be. So anyone who says they know when the time is going to be, which is how we typically define prophecy today, they are lying, and they're probably asking for a donation at the end of that. So I would encourage you just to walk away from anyone. But in the Old Testament, this is absolutely how God is working through them. Jesus changed that for us. God has been developing this plan since before you were born. So how do you know God's plan? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any of these. But perhaps you're going to find the one that you need to focus on this week. Maybe more than one. This is what I have found in my life. This is the kind of the operating uh, principle for me on, on looking for what God's will is. When we have challenges as a family, I go to this. Whenever we have challenges as a church, I go to this. When I talk to other ministries and we talk about what is God doing in our city, I go to this. How do we know what God wants from us? Because I am at an age where I don't have a lot of free time. And I know you all are doing nothing with your lives, right? You sit around like you're going to leave here and you're just going to go sit and you're going to go, gosh, when's, when's church going to start again? You know, and that's, what's, that's your whole week, right? Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. The reality is none of us in this room are sitting around looking for something else to do. Maybe a couple, but not many. And so when we're not sitting around looking for something to do, When we have the opportunity to do something, I increasingly want to know that this is the right thing to do. And I believe that process is something that each of us has to look look at in all of the schedule of our lives. If you have kids, you have a whole lot of activities. If you don't have kids, you still have a whole lot of activities. We have work. We have goals. We have all kinds of ways to play. But what is God saying for you in this moment in your life saying, I have a plan for you, and that plan is going to involve expanding the kingdom of God around you. Number one may seem trite, and it may seem too simple, but I think that it is the baseline for understanding God's will, and that is to trust God and walk with Him. Trust God and walk with Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. 
You know what? Let's all repeat that together, okay? Read with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your what? Oh, my word. I hate verses like this. Don't you? I'm like, God, come on. I got this. This is what you need to do. Does anybody pray like that in here? I mean, I'm ashamed to admit it, but sometimes I do. Like, God, I, this, why, this is not rocket science, God. Just make it happen. That's the way we live our lives when we're not trusting God. God, I just see it. I see it so clearly. This is what, I, this is what needs to happen. And this is the common call is trust me. You know, in the conversation with Job, when he kind of butts up against God after God's allowed Satan to tempt him, and he's, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, God, come on. And God says, hey, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you when I control the tides? God is trustworthy. He's way more trustworthy than me. And yet for something within us, we, it is so ingrained from that original sin that says, I still know better. Then I want to lean on my own understanding and then I get mad when God doesn't follow through. Bottom line in hearing what God is saying to you has to be a complete giving up of your need to be in control. And for some of us, this is probably where we can stop for the day. Now, I will give some of you hope and that there are days I do this better than others. Because some days I do not want to give up control. Some of you may be in that spot. But I can tell you that when you trust and you walk with him and you recognize that it's not my way of seeing things that matters. It's the way he is he promises us He will make our path straight. Trust God and walk with Him. Number two. Goes right along with number one. Submit to a better way. Submit to a better way. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it all begins with a sacrifice. Not the kind of sacrifice we read in the Old Testament, but the sacrifice of ourselves. We sacrifice ourselves to Him, not conforming to this world but being transformed by Him and then testing what we hear, what is God's will. Submit to a better way. In what places have you clearly heard God speak that He is still waiting for you to submit? I have found that God rarely moves me beyond that moment until I submit. But I have also found that in God's rich grace and mercy, that he does not require me to do this perfectly to draw me along to hear him. And I am thankful for that. 
But if I am holding so stringently to what I want, to the way I think things should be, to what I want to realize with my life, I want my life to look like in the future, I rarely am able to hear what God is saying. But to submit to a better way. And if we do not believe it's a better way, we need to back up. Because if we don't believe that what God's plan for us is the very best that it could be, we believe some very wrong things about Him. Submit to a better way. Maybe, okay, you may be at the point I can do that. I want to trust God. I'm walking with Him to the best of my ability. I'm willing to submit to a better way. I mean, most of us get to this point when we mess up enough. And we're like, yeah, I'm just not, it's, I'm not capable. <laughs> I'm not that good. And yet you still don't really know what is the thing God's calling you to. I would just encourage you to obey what you already know. See, so many times we want the big thing. But it's the daily walking thing that creates the foundation for that. You know, we want God to say, listen, I want you to go and start a church. I want you to go and, and speak to a thousand people. I, I want you to go and rally all of your uh, business peers together to go do something for the city. I want you to go and, and, uh, and, and get your face on a billboard, which I, I'm still waiting on. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm still waiting for my face on a billboard, which I really don't ever want my face on a billboard. But, you know, whatever your goal is for what you think it's going to be. Sometimes it's walking and just the, the things that he's already told us. Be holy as I am holy. Take my word into your heart. Let it wash over you. Pray. You don't have because you don't ask. Pray. Speak to me. Spend time with me. When you go through Walmart, and you realize there's only one, one cashier, and now there's a million of the self-checkouts, but you're really upset because you are paying for someone to ring you up, which is just crazy to me, but there are, that may be you. And you're about to lose your patience to say, I will give grace instead of judgment in this moment. You know, it's really amazing how much God speaks in the normal, mundane acts of being faithful to Him from day to day. It's the American way that God's calling has to be this big, glitzy, with fireworks announced throughout the heavens of how you are now going to be the Savior for the world. The reality is that job's already been taken. But there's something about us and our calling that we want that to be us too. I mean, Jesus has gotten some pretty good uh, credibility in the world. I could stand for some of that. Man, that sermon, that sermon changed my life forever. Oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that, God? That sermon changed our life forever. But not in a good way. Hey. He... Sometimes our calling is just to walk faithfully one step in front of the next. Fireworks are all about God showing up, not about us showing up. So sometimes we just have to obey what we already know and be faithful. And you may find that you have to do that a long time. 
before you feel called to something specific. Obey what you already know. We read a lot about this in 1 John. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. We demonstrate our love for God by being obedient. Fourth thing. Listen for further instructions. Now, there are some that would say, God will never give you further instructions. If it's not in the Bible, he'll never uh, tell you anything. I do not believe that is true. I do believe that God will never contradict Scripture. I believe that God is not going to change something, nor is God going to add some facet to the gospel that we don't already have. However, one of the things I love is when I feel God is saying something to me. It's beautiful. It's it's exciting. It's empowering. It's encouraging. Sometimes you just have to listen for further instructions. Jesus was walking one day, and so people asked him, so are you him? Are you the, the Messiah? Are you the Christ we've heard prophesied for all these years? I mean, are you him? Because we, we aren't sure. And this was Jesus' simple response in John ten twenty seven: My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you need a plan for discipleship, that's it. Right there. My sheep hear my voice, they follow me. That begins with number three, obey what you already know. Now, let me give you three quick stories, and then we're done for today. Some of you are going, yes. I mean, think about this. Some of you are thinking, uh, I still don't know what this means. I don't know how to interpret this. And I want to make this as clear as mud before you leave today, all right? There are some times that it takes courage to move when God says move. God is saying it is time for a change. It is time for you to do something. It is time for you to stop just living your life the way you're living it. I am drawing you out to do something, and it is time for you to go. We read about a time like this, perhaps one of the most well-known times in scripture is in the old testament in genesis chapter 12 talking about abram when abram is wealthy he's made it he's well known in the community he has everything he's the largest employer around i mean everything's just working abraham has you know tents everywhere he's built his his land is is sprawling the 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 livestock he owns is innumerable i mean Abram has, it has gotten it together. He's the Jeff Bezos or, you know, whoever else of today, right? He's got it together. And it says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Which I love. 
Let me speak to some of my uh, advisors on this, God, and let us decide if this is even possible. And I'll get back with you is how some of us might answer. But Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. What I love also about this is that Abram was 75 years old when he departed. Do we live in a culture that says the older you get, the less relevant you are? You just disappear off into the wilderness somewhere? That's not the way God works. God often works in the lives of those who are following Him. It takes courage to move when God says move. Sometimes that move says you need to quit your job and you need to go somewhere else. Sometimes move means that you need to move to another part of the country or another part of the world. It may mean you need to go back to school. It may mean you need to quit school. But you're moving in a direction, in a different direction, that you're already confidently going in, and that causes fear. Will you go? See, it takes courage to move when God says move because there's something frightening about doing anything different than what you're already doing. For most of us, when we talk about God's will, we think this is the only situation in which God works. God says move, and either we move or we don't. But you know, that's not the only way God speaks. That's not the only way God works. And, that, and if you're not being called right now to move in some direction... That doesn't mean God is not calling you or that God is not speaking to you because it takes courage to move when God says move, but it also takes courage to wait when God says wait. And this may be where you are, uncertain about what direction God is moving you towards. It takes courage to wait when God says wait. I love this. If you really want to see some incredible work of God in the lives of people, just really go back and read through Um, just the Hebrew exodus from Egypt and how God took care of them and then what happened in that 40 years and then moving on into the promised land. It takes courage to wait when God says wait. And if you're in a period in which God is telling you, I'm preparing you, I just want you to wait, then confidently wait there. Deuteronomy 29 verse 2 through 5 says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. And your sandals have not worn off your feet. Now, how many in you in here of you in here? I'll get it right here in a minute. I'll get all my prepositions together. How many of you are still wearing clothes you wore 40 years ago? Assuming you're at least 40, right? How many of you are still wearing those same clothes? How about your shoes? Now, is it just that they made clothes and shoes a lot better than we do? And yet in this 40 years, and, and if you're a student of this period in the life of the Hebrews, you would say, well, yeah, because God wanted them to go in earlier, but they didn't believe him. Yes. And isn't that an incredibly encouraging reality that when God wanted them to move into the promised land, they held back and yet he didn't just 
leave them. He waited 40 years. So in that 40-year period, they waited. And God provided for them. Not only did God provide for them, their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. What they went with, they still had. And it just lasted. See, there's not much in our culture that values waiting. But it may be that God is telling you to wait, and that's going to take courage. A third story. Not only does it take courage to move or to wait, but there are times it takes courage to retreat when God says to retreat. Now, this feels like failure all over. If any of you are in our business owners or you're in charge of something, to retreat feels like a failure. Like you're no good at this. You just need to get out of the way and let someone better do this thing. But do you realize there are times that God says, I need you, I need you to get up and run as far from here as possible. Matthew chapter 24. Very confusing passage. There's actually a prophecy from Daniel. It's being quoted from Daniel. It says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. There's not complete agreement in exactly what Daniel meant or what Matthew meant with this or what period we're talking about. It follows in Matthew's gospel right after talking about the entrance of the end times. And if you've read Left Behind, you think that's at some later date. But what Jesus said was the end times happen now. We're in them. We've been in them since Jesus walked out of the grave. We've been in this unspecified period of time called the end times before Jesus returns, recreates the heavens and the earth, and and all this goes away. All is judged, and something new is born out of it all. We don't know what all of that looks like. But many believe that this passage right here is talking about the time in which the temple is overrun by someone who is not a follower of God, is not even a Jew, and he and God is saying to them, in this moment, you need to run. And many believe he is speaking of the dispersion that would happen about 40 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because 40 years after that point, you remember they were all, Jerusalem was already, or Israel was already a token nation of Rome. Rome had taken it over. And they would kind of rise up and then the, we would quell that and rise up again. This is how Jesus was killed. This is how the Pharisees and the Sadducees got him killed by the Romans. They said, he's trying to overthrow your rule here. And he's calling himself the king of the Jews, so you need to deal with him. And the way you dealt with that person was you eliminated them. That's why they put on his cross a plaque that said, King of the Jews. This is why they stood before him and asked him. And Jesus clearly said, this, yes, I'm a king, but not of this kingdom. But the way that they got rid of him was they said, he wants to overthrow you. Well, 40 years later, this keeps happening, and Rome officially loses their patience 
and brings the hammer down and runs in, destroys everything. And this is what we call the great dispersion. Now, all these believers who had been growing and learning for these last 40 years run for their lives. And that's how the gospel came to the United States of America. Because it spread out from that central location to the rest of the world. See, sometimes when God says to run, that does not mean you're a failure. It does not mean that you've missed it. It means that you are following Him faithfully. So where does that leave us? So what is it? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to wait? Or am I supposed to run? I mean, which is it? I hate these sermons, right? I hate them too. I just encourage you that what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way It doesn't really matter because God can be in any of those things. But what does matter is walking with Him today one step in front of the other and listening when He says, I've got something for you to do. And when that moment comes, do it. Well, what happens if you misunderstood? Listen, I do not think God is so literal that he goes, you know what? You thought you were doing what I told you to do, but you totally missed it. So you know what? I'm done with you. That's not how God works. I'm not a rich in mercy, God. Go. I have found God has corrected our path. Us as a church, God has corrected our path over the years. God will correct your path if you are honestly seeking him. Have courage, though. None of these options means ignore God's call. Even waiting. Listen and respond. Be courageous and follow Jesus even when you are afraid. We're going to unpack some of this more in the next three weeks. I look forward to that and I hope you'll join with me. For those of you who are, this is not sufficient for your questions, I will say there are, there are a, a few things that I have found that have helped me clarify what God is saying. Number one, being a student of Scripture clarifies what God is saying to you. As, as Ken said, there are so many times that once you put it in there, it comes out at just the right time. I've also found that godly mentors are huge People that you know are also following God that you can talk to and that they can speak into your life and they can say, this is what I see. This is what I know about you. This is what I see. This is what I know about how God works. And they can give good counsel. Doesn't mean they know the answer, but they can often give good counsel. And sometimes just by the way of speaking through it with someone like that, it, it clears everything up for you. And the third thing is just lots and lots of prayer. Just pray. Just listen. And at anything that you feel God is saying to you, move immediately in that thing. You will have to overcome fear. When God calls, let's move. Father, God, I pray that for those in this room that are seeking that thing that you want for and from them and are frustrated, would just like to have something 
put in front of them that they could read and know a plan would make it so much easier. But God, I know that's not the way you work. I pray that you would speak to us through your word and through your spirit. Pray for those that today, right now, you are calling them to move. And they are resistant because they like life right now. Give them the courage to overcome that. I pray for those who fear right now that they have been abandoned. They feel like they've been given up on, maybe by people, maybe by you. Because your calling to them is to wait. And waiting feels like failure. God, I just pray that you would give such a sense of your presence that even in the waiting, it is a beautiful moment with you. And for some of us in the room, it is time for us to run. Maybe it's time like Joseph to run from the temptation to sin so that we can stay pure and holy before your eyes. Maybe it's to run from a a plan of action or a way of living life that we thought this is the way we were supposed to spend our lives and now we don't. We think that's not it. That's not what you called us to and we've got to run from that. Maybe something terrible is happening in someone's life in this room right now. And they can't see, just as the Jews didn't see when they were dispersed out of Jerusalem, they can't see the great good that will come out of this. But that is what you're doing in them. This horrible thing that's happening within their life is pushing them to something that they would not choose on their own, they would not do on their own, but you are as You are as in charge of this plan and act in their life as you are in the person who looks like they have it all together. This retreat is ordained by you. Help us to follow you even when we're afraid. In Jesus' name we pray.